It is such a sweet season of the year. Our family has been singing Christmas hymns each day of the month since about Thanksgiving, and for the most part, reading the Christmas story out of different books ever since uh, we got into the month. So we definitely love this time, and it is a sweet time, and a time full of hope, and that for a very good reason. And uh, we'll get a chance to look at that together, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. So let's focus our attention on Luke chapter 2. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Good News of a Savior's Birth. Good News of a Savior's Birth. Let's all pray. Father, as we have this opportunity to worship you by considering carefully what you have said, we ask that our hearts would be bent and bowed before you, that we would not be haughty and proud and resist what we hear, but that we would seek to understand it and seek to allow it to press upon our life and form us and shape us into what we ought to think, what we ought to believe, what we ought to do, what we ought to be. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently was reading the local paper and came across an editorial of a person who was very worried. They worried about what? Well, worried about the continual dangers of this pandemic, worried about the near doom of our democracy with what happened early in the year. And uh, it's interesting that we are living in a season of life that we've all said something along these lines. I can't wait till things get back to normal. This is not normal, and we all want to get back to normal. We want things to be working again. We want things to be the way they were, because that's not how it is right now. We all seem to be, in some ways, waiting for some good news. Like the virus is gone, like the mandates are gone, like the dollar is stabilizing, like the government is actually working. We come to Luke 2. And we read some good news from a very unique source. I just want to remind you here about the source of what we're going to read because often judge the news we hear by the source it comes from. We wonder, well, is it coming from a printed book or an online post? Is it coming from a conservative or from a liberal? Is it something that's verified or is it speculation? When it comes to Luke 2... God is the ultimate source because the angel was sent from God to the shepherds in Bethlehem. Look at verse 8 and 9, where the Bible says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Good news. That's what people who live in worry and fear and gloom need. Yet the news that is given in Luke 2 is far more significant than the value of the dollar or the stability of our democracy. The news from heaven is that a Savior is born. And as we look at this passage together, I want us to notice three things about the news from heaven. Three things. Its effect its headline, 
and its authenticity, its effect, its headline, and its authenticity. First, notice the effect of this news. How is it going to impact people? Verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. You see, this news makes everyone happy. This news makes everyone very happy because this birth is going to cause great joy. And what birth doesn't cause great joy? One of the gifts that my dear wife has been asking me for for a number of years is that all of our family photos and videos be saved in one place. So I found myself recently organizing the files on my computer. Most of the time I was organizing it by years. But there were a few special folders that I made that were set apart from just 2020, 2019, 2018. I made files for my wedding, made files for the birth of each of my children. You see, I did that because those are sources of great joy in our lives. Indeed, that's the case when we have a child, when our family and friends have a child. In some countries, royal babies are born. And that makes for really big news and lots of rejoicing. That kind of is like the the fairy tale story of uh, Princess Aurora in Sleeping Beauty. All the kingdom rejoiced when she was born. But what's before us is something that is far more reaching. It's not just a family we're talking about here. It's not just a country. The angel talks about all people. The angel notes the scope of this joy, great joy that will be for all the people. Not only is this birth one that causes great joy, but it's a birth that holds worldwide blessing. I want you to think about that for a moment. How many headlines are there that actually have global significance? You know, when the American Civil War ended, that was great news for Americans. When the world wars ended, that was great news for a whole lot of nations, but there were other nations who weren't impacted by the world wars. Even when COVID broke out and we find news of outbreaks or mandates, those are often localized. It's not like there is a global mandate. Things are localized. It's local news or maybe uh, by a country, by a state. So, for example, our most recent Omicron variant, it seems to have come from South Africa. That's a local thing. Not everyone in the world is impacted by that. We have cases in America from it, but not all the countries of the world have been affected by it. So what I'm trying to say is there is news that is significant, there's news that's important, but not all news is significant for every single person in the entire world. But when it comes to the news from heaven in Luke chapter 2, it is a cause of great joy for all people. So these, these headlines have a global impact. And these kinds of headlines... These are very few and far between. There are very few times in human history that there is news for absolutely everyone in the world. I want you to think through your knowledge of the Bible and think of the times that God actually spoke to man 
and told him something that was for all mankind, not just for him. God has spoken to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Moses, to the prophets of old, but that was specific to them. What were the messages that God gave that were global? Well, we know that God told Adam that he had given him every plant and every tree for food for man. You say there was only Adam there. I understand, but it was a word for all mankind. That was the news for all of man, how he would eat. God told Noah and company that the food supply would extend to animals in the post-flood episode there. God promised Noah and company that the world would never be destroyed by a flood again. That was confirmed by the rainbow in the sky. God said early on, and to Noah, he said that they should be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and work in it. We also know one of the most significant things that God said to all mankind after Adam and Eve sinned was that man was cursed. That man who was made from dust would turn to dust. That's the kind of announcement that has worldwide significance. Every single person is impacted by that. Years later, at the time of Caesar Augustus, God decides to publish another message with global significance. You say, what do we What do we take from that? God wants all people to have great joy from this news. That means you. That means me. God is offering something for each one of us. It's great joy. Because that's the effect that the the angel declares, which comes from God. Now let's notice the headline of the news. Look, Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So not only is this news that makes everyone very happy, but this news is about a newborn Savior. As we go through this, we'll see the specifics of his birth and then the significance of it. The Savior here is the one who is born in David's city. And this is not a prophecy of old that is going to say something that is going to happen one day, but this is news of what has happened. The angel announced that the Savior is born in Bethlehem. That's David's city. And while the shepherds don't know all the details of that, they haven't read Luke chapter 1. As we've been able to read through Luke 1 in our Christmas season, we've seen that Luke is saying again and again, that one is going to come from David's family. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 27. Luke 1, 27. It says that the angel was sent to a virgin, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. So there's the beginning of the emphasis. Verse 32, he will be great. This is what Gabriel says to, uh, to Mary says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, here it is again, David. Go down to verse 69, chapter 1, verse 69. It says, Zechariah speaking here from this morning when we read it, Blessed be the Lord of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Then we come to chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to, uh, to Judea, to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, because he was of the house 
and lineage of David. So we're supposed to see quite plainly this whole relation to David is extremely significant. Say, why? Because God had made a promise to David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne and rule and reign forever. That's what we draw from the fact that this one is born in David's city of David's lineage. What the angel says then, this is why it's going to have global significance. The one who's born there is going to rule and reign over everyone forever. Can you find a bigger headline than that? Notice what else the angel says, because not only does the angel tell the specifics of the Savior's birth, the angel tells why he is so significant. We draw it from the place, but the angel points it out as plainly as can be. The Savior was born for you. Verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The announcement is not simply that a baby has been born, but this is one who is born for you. This is a significant birth. And each one of us needs to consider, why is it that the birth of Christ is beneficial for each one of us? The passage is going to give us three ways that together make up why this is such good news that he is born. It says the baby born is going to be the Savior. That is going to tell us what he is going to do in his life. He's going to be a Savior. Secondly, the baby born is going to be the Messiah. He'll be the Christ who would be the one to sit on David's throne. And third, the baby born was the Lord. That is to say, he is God himself. It shows who he is. It shows what he will do. And that's how it's a benefit to each one of us. This newborn baby is unlike any other. He's a Savior. People need salvation from? Well, we all have lots of ideas of what we need rescuing from. Some people think what society needs is rescue from poverty. So they have programs. What society needs is rescue from virus. So we have vaccines and all kinds of things. What society needs is being rescued from mandates, government, overreach, all kinds of things that people have an idea that's what we need to be saved from. But the one that's pointed out here is that we need a Savior who will save us from what weighs on man the most, and that's man's sin. We know that from the context. Look back at Luke chapter 1. When we wonder, what is it that Jesus is going to save us from? We find it in the words of Zechariah. Luke chapter 1, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Mankind is burdened with sin, which leads to his death. So it is, as the song says, this baby born is going to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might, as we just sang today in God Rest You Mary, Gentlemen. That's where the Apostle John summarizes this when he says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. How would Jesus be the one who saves the world? He will be the one who offers his life so that we can have the forgiveness of our sin. And that's a significant headline. It's a far-reaching headline. The question is, is it real? 
Or is this fake news? I mean, is this really something that we should believe? Well, from the impact of this news and the headline of this news, we come lastly this morning to its authenticity. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a feeding trough. Third this morning, this news is authenticated by the baby's cradle. You know, we live in an electronic age. We have one of these really close by. And so much of our communication, so much of our economics goes through this. And because of that, there are people who want to take advantage of other people and they want to steal from other people. So they they try to take your identity. And companies want to protect against this. So what they do is they have a lot of safeguards. So, for example, my email, perhaps your email, recently said that they're going to have a two-step authentication process. Not only do you have to input your password to get into your account, but they're going to send a code to your phone that you have to enter into your computer to make sure you are who you say you are. You see, companies, like credit card companies, want to make sure that when a purchase is made, you're the one who made the purpose. So they send a confirmation code. In Luke 2, there's a confirmation code. God confirms his message. How did he do that? He has a confirmation code of, the, of this news. You say, what's the confirmation? It's a sign. And the sign is that this baby, this Savior, is going to be lying in a feeding trough. That doesn't normally happen. So often we look at nativity scenes, and I have lots of these at my house, pictures of them. Many times they're quite romanticized. A feeding trough was the dinner plate for the animals. There's nothing special about it. In that day, they probably had two-story houses on the ground level, the dirt level. That's where the animals were. They were downstairs. And upstairs, they would have their living space. That's where it says in Bethlehem during that season, there was no room up there. There was no room in the living space upstairs. There was only room on the first floor with the animals. And it is among these animals that this baby lays in their feeding trough. And it's by that that God confirms his message. That's how you'll know that this one is who we say he is. He is indeed the Savior. You'll know because you need to go look for him and you'll find them in that place. That's how God is authenticating the message. But he's also telling us something about him. Because we learn the fact that God is condescending to dwell with man. Not as only is God confirming what he said, this message, he's also condescending to dwell with man. We'd think, well, if he's the great God of heaven, certainly if he were to come, he would get a first-class treatment. But the Son of God comes to earth. He takes on human flesh. He's born to the Virgin Mary. And it's in the most humble situation that you can imagine. You wouldn't go see him at the hospital on the fourth floor. Instead, you'd go to where the animals are. And that teaches us about God, about his character. Yes, God is high and lifted up. Yes, God inhabits eternity. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he dwells in a high and holy place. Yet he stoops to live 
among his creation. Paul said in Philippians 2 that Christ humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So here we have a God who is great, yet he is approachable by even the lowliest of people. Say, how do we know that this great God is approachable? We see him as a baby lying in a feeding trough. And that is to show us the news of these angels, the news from God ultimately, is inviting news for you and for me. It's not just a headline we can pass over. It's not something that makes no real impact on life. It's not something that's fake news that we don't have to think this is real. It's authenticated for us. It's good news. Say, we live in a world that wants good news. We do. As I began this morning, I read an editorial of a person who's really worried. Worried about government. Worried about the economy. Worried about the people on the other side. And they're really hoping, of course, and how things go today, that the people on the other side will get will straighten things out. And that they'll come to see everything as they see everything and we'll be at peace again. And their idea of Christmas, their idea of perpetual hope, is that everyone will just get in line with what I think. And we're all going to be better off. And that's kind of the farthest thing from the Christmas message, the Christmas theme, than you could imagine. The story is not about just people getting along. The story is about a Savior who will save people from their sin, who will one day rule and reign over everyone and set everything right. The story of Christmas actually has a Christ in it because he's the focus of it. God has sent his angels to the shepherds to give that message so many years ago, and it still has impact in our life too. It's good news. It's what we should believe and trust in. Father, as we consider it, we ask that each one of us would not run away from this place having heard the Christmas story again, but that we would consider what you did and try to communicate through the angels that you wanted people to know what had taken place and what kind of impact it would have, it should have in our lives. And that it, it's something we really ought to trust and believe. And that's every single one of us. So, Lord, we ask that we would trust you. Instead of hoping for something else, hoping for something to change, hoping that someone somewhere can fix something, but instead let's turn to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.